Welcome to episode 50 of Bills by the Numbers, where we let the stats tell you where the Bills are at. We're brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Some interesting additions in recent weeks at receiver for the Bills. What does it mean for Buffalo's passing game down the stretch? And can Buffalo fix their drop problem? NFL Network's Mike Giardi joins us to discuss how the Bills' offense has changed from last season. Get your chin straps ready, people! Some interesting developments the past few weeks with the Bills and their receiving core. John Brown added to the practice squad three weeks ago. Cole Beasley added this week as the Bills receiving contingent has not been at full strength for much of the season. Jake Kumaro, Jamison Crowder still on IR, but it hasn't been availability that's been the main issue. It's execution. What do those moves Say to you, Mr. Tasker. I think there's a couple of things in this. Uh, I think they're, I, I like both moves because they're two guys that have a lot of experience in this offense and a lot of history and, and water under the bridge with Josh Allen throwing them the football. Uh, they're, they're easier to reacclimate as veteran players and guys who have been in this system. So when you're in a position where the Bills are right now, where Let's face it, this is a Super Bowl expectation team. I mean, they're playing well. They're the number one seed, and they've been on the doorstep for a couple of years. It's time for them to push it over. If somebody goes down, they need a plug-and-play player. Somebody who There may be a drop-off in athletic ability, but there won't be a mental drop-off. These guys are able to go in there, call a play, run any play you can call, and even if they don't win, you don't have somebody out there who doesn't know what they're doing. I th- and also, on the other hand as well, and you mentioned this in the Open, um, it's competition. Uh, the, the players on the team now know these guys. They'll come in and they'll know how to compete on the practice field. The coaching staff trusts them. The quarterback trusts them. And they add a level of credibility to a young group who has struggled with drops this year. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to that in just a second. But, yeah, I, I think you want to have options to turn to at the most important time of the season, the playoffs, Getting people like John Brown and Cole Beasley in the fold now gives them proper on-ramping in the event that you do need it. But I do tend to think this is also shooting the warning flare gun up in the air to the receiving core on the active roster to say, hey guys, we've been patient. You're not getting it done right now. And we're, we're in the stretch run here. Get it together and fast. Or we're going to tap those guys on the shoulder on the practice squad and say, Go play 50 snaps for us on offense. That's what's going to happen because we've seen it happen before here under Sean McDermott at other positions. Sean McDermott will not hesitate to sit somebody down for a week if what they see in practice and in games over the course of several weeks doesn't measure up to the standard, whatever the standard might be at whatever position. And the standard is clearly higher than where the Bills sit right now at the receiver position. The Bills, Steve, according to Pro Football Reference, lead the league in drop passes with 32 and are tied for second in the league in drop rate with Green Bay at 7.5%. Well, I'll be the first to say not all of Josh Allen's throws have been on the money. More often than not, he is. And these stats, though somewhat subjective, demonstrate 
that just not enough plays are being made in the passing game to help keep the offense on the field. We've watched the Bills' point total decrease each of the past four weeks, 31, 28, 24, 20 in their last win over the Jets. Do you believe adding Brown and Beasley was an act indicating that the coaching staff decided it's going to get better or it's got to get better and we're going to do it with veteran guys that have done it before. I think they, I think this coaching staff believes the guys they've got on the roster can do it, but there's no question that, that it's going to motivate them to play better. Uh, whenever you bring new guys in, particularly proven guys, and whether they're long in the tooth or not, whether they're veteran guys. I mean, Cole Beasley was retired a week ago. Uh, now he's back. It does say something about how the coaches feel about the guys in the room. Uh, also, and like I said, there, there is something about having an insurance policy you can trust. And with Jake Kumaro and Jamison Crowder being off the shelf because of injuries, Cole Beasley and John Brown are two logical solutions to those absences. But I, I do, and it makes a lot of sense in that, just in that regard alone. But I do believe there's something a little extra in those signings as well. Right. When John Brown was brought here a few weeks ago, I kind of viewed it as somewhat of a stopgap measure because you're still waiting on Crowder in the hopes that he can come back. And there are signs that that may, in fact, happen before the regular season's over as he's training on the side at practice the last couple of weeks. And then you still don't have Kumaros. So I said, okay, John Brown is kind of a stopgap measure, veteran player that you can trust in the absence of veteran players like Kumaro and Jamison Crowder. Maybe you don't want to put too much on Shakir. And for whatever reason, maybe you give John Brown some snaps, and they have each of the last two weeks as practice as a practice squad I, elevation. The Cole Beasley thing now, this strikes me as more of a low-level DEFCON move. Like, we're not a DEFCON 1, which is complete and utter end-of-the-world situation. You might be a DEFCON 5, though, with the point production going down precipitously the last four weeks, the drop passes still prevalent, and prevalent even last week in the win over the Jets. I, I, I see the Cole Beasley thing as maybe something a little bit more because what they expected to get out of the slot receiver position or from a proven number two or a guy they thought could be a number two in Gabe Davis, it flat out hasn't materialized. So do you try to get some of that back and put Beasley on the field? We'll have to wait and see. Well, it's, it's hard to know what their true motivations are, but that's my suspicion. If Beasley's on the field, it's not because Gabe Davis isn't satisfactory. If John Brown's on the field, it is. John Brown is not a slot, and Cole Beasley is not a number two. Cole Beasley's a slot guy. Okay. Uh, so I think John Brown was brought in because of Gabe Davis, if you're looking at those roles, and Beasley was brought in because of Isaiah McKenzie or Khalil Shakir. Okay, so now I think we're arguing semantics here more than anything else because when I was saying number two – I guess I was getting I was I was envisioning more a guy to play a second role behind Diggs, which is what Beasley was, even though he lined up in the slot. He was the second most targeted guy. He was the second most productive guy in terms of yards and yards and catches and targets for that matter. You and and I think they thought, well, we'll just shift that target and volume role to Gabe Davis, even though he plays a different position. That has not happened, and then you come back inside to the slot. So you're arguing John Brown equals Gabe Davis. 
Cole Beasley equals Isaiah McKenzie. I was looking more of it, more at it in terms of <clears throat> Diggs is your number one target guy. We thought Davis could be the number two target guy. He's not. Let's bring the guy who used to be back in, and that's Beasley. Yeah. Here's the thing that, that stands, jumps out to me in all of this. Uh, in this game, this last game uh, that the Bills won against the Jets, uh, in the game before that in New England, John Brown got on the field. If a guy is on the field, he's the best option they think they've got. Mm. If he's on the field, they think he can t- contribute, that there's nobody else on the bench who's going to contribute better than he's going to contribute, even if it's on one play. Okay. That shouts. Okay, so let's take that a step further then. The most important question going forward, can the Bills' passing game recapture the past with Brown and Beasley, who are now almost 33 and 34 years old? Yeah, I mean, you're not asking John Brown and Cole Beasley to come in and play 100% of the offensive snaps from, from, for the last month of the regular season through the playoffs. You're looking for spot duty from them, at least at the, at the, off the get-go, like you have gotten from John Brown. He's been elevated. He hasn't gotten very many snaps, but they've acclimated him slowly. He may His role may in, increase, but you can look for Cole Beasley to do the same thing. He'll get acclimated, perhaps get elevated to get game day ready, uh, maybe activated, not even play, or elevated to the roster, not even play, be active for the game, and then active and play a couple of plays, that kind of thing. The same thing uh, we've seen with other players uh, who got on the field, it's like, like, like James Cook and his escalated role. You can look for that. I think best case scenario. I think at the very least, this is a team that doesn't want to go down the road where, for instance, like if a guy like last year, two years ago, when Cole Beasley broke his leg and had to finish the game with a broken leg or finish the season with a broken leg, they don't want that to happen to Khalil Shakir or Isaiah McKenzie or Gabe Davis or Steph Diggs and have nobody there who's capable in the offense. That's, I think, job one. But yes, there's no doubt this – I think this coaching staff and, and Brandon Bean as well are looking for answers to what they see as a, a group of players who are not producing the way they thought they were going to produce or who have produced that way in the past or in the early in the season. Yeah. That's a problem. I see it right now in terms of roles for those two kind of similar to a relief pitcher situation in baseball. You're calling those guys in – to play a role in a game, as you pointed out, you know maybe it's 15, 20 snaps for John Brown, maybe it's 15, 20 snaps for Cole Beasley, and you have a package of plays in which they are part of the personnel grouping. Uh, My curiosity, though, goes here. Let's just say, hypothetically, Brown and Beasley are dressed. They each play 20 snaps. They're productive. They score a touchdown. They catch three balls to move the sticks in the span of a game. Does the role increase? And does it go from there? And now they're in shape. Do they completely supplant somebody at one of those positions? I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility, despite their age, because as you pointed out, we are at the end of the season. They don't have to play 17 games for you now. They only have to play four regular season games and hopefully four playoff games, or three if you get the number one seed. Right. So <laughs> you're talking about half a season at the most. Right. I think a 33- or a 34-year-old, if they're in proper shape, can give you that, especially 
if you're on-ramping them here these last four weeks of the regular season to where you might be able to get a little bit more out of I'd, those guys. And Well, we've seen it happen. We saw it with the L.A. Rams last year when they picked up OBJ and they got a little boost from him. And Von I think, Miller for that matter. And Von Miller as well. I think one of the things this might speak to that we haven't really discussed too much is it may be a signal as to how likely it is that Jake Kumaro or Jameson Crowder gets ready. Um, Kumaro's a different animal than any of the guys we're talking about. He's a special teams guy who comes in also on plays. He'll play a handful of snaps at least offensively when he's active as a blocking wide receiver, and he'll catch an occasional pass. He'll have those games where he'll go uh, for a month without catching a pass, and then he'll have two catches in a game or two three catches in a game. Uh, That's kind of his role. But this may be because of Cole Beasley and John Brown's experience in the offense – it may be a signal that they're not as confident that Jameson Crowder is going to be able to come back and contribute. And even if Jameson Crowder comes back, Cole Beasley and John Brown have more experience in this offense than he does now anyway because right. he hasn't, he's been standing around watching for three months. Mm-hmm. So Crowder may be somebody who they like but who's been injured so much they haven't even seen him play very much in the audience. He was hurt in week two or week three, I think. He... You know, they may not, he still may be a relatively unknown commodity in this offense. So I think it may have to do with that, with Kumaro and Crowder, their availability coming down the stretch and just having an extra layer of insurance as it does with the discontent with Khalil Shakir or Isaiah McKenzie or Gabe Davis. So we'll have to watch and see that and see how it goes. But I know this they're in the building, and if they earn reps on the field, this staff is going to give it to them. Everybody get – if you earn it, you get it. Hey. And if you unearn it, you get sat down. So that's always in the air in that locker room. I think it's, it's been an incredibly stable and dependable part of this coaching staff's philosophy. And it keeps everybody on the roster from Josh Allen all the way down to – name it, you know, Reed Ferguson – Long snapper. Everybody stays motivated and to, on keep, edge. to keep getting it. Uh, so if they're in the building, they have a chance to earn some playing time, uh, and they're here for a reason. What all those reasons are and what the possibilities are, I think, remain to be seen, at least for all of us. And I think even for the coaching staff and Brandon Bean, they've got a plan, and they're, and, uh, but I think some of that plan is a just-in-case plan. Hmm. Somewhat insurance policy and – Hey, in and case a, of emergency, because you're not getting the production you want, break glass and put them on yeah, the field. That's a. I think they're a pilot light. Yeah. You know, I think they're a pilot light to make sure everybody stays lit, and uh, knowing that there's somebody in there they don't hesitate to put in. Mm-hmm. We'll expand on this conversation now with NFL Network's Mike Giardi, who has pointed out some changes in the Bills' offensive late. We address the Buffalo passing game and the offense's attempt to diversify in season. Now, all right, Mike, uh, you kind of cover the AFC East at large, but for the Bills, yes, they're on a four-game winning streak, but we've really kind of witnessed their offense take on a little bit of a different identity than the explosive passing game that we've come to get accustomed to the better part of the last two seasons. They feel like they need to diversify their offense to be ready to turn to anything come the postseason when they're presumably facing better teams and better defenses. How do you see it, though? Because I think there is, in the back of Bills fans' minds, just a wee bit of concern like, 
hey, I'd really like to see that explosive passing game again. Do we still have that? Well, look, in the first drive of the game against the Jets, right, he has um, Stefan Diggs on the slant, Carter falls down, and Josh misses him by a mile. If you connect on that pass, it's him versus the safety. That could have been a 70-yard touchdown just like that out of the shoot. So sometimes you're just talking about the simple matter of there are plays to be made and they're not making them. To me, a lot of this comes back to, well, twofold, right? Josh's elbow, I think, look, he's throwing in practice, but maybe not throwing as much as he did. Maybe that contributes somewhat to the slow starts. And I think the other thing is it's more about what's happening up front. I mean, it was a jailbreak at times against the Jets on Sunday, but we've seen that now against lesser defenses where they've struggled up front as well. And, you know, obviously Dion had to kick off some rust and he's playing hurt. So, you know, I, you can probably brush some of that aside, but Spencer Brown on the right side, it's it's been a struggle now for a while for him. And, and Roger Saffold as a pass blocker just hasn't really stood up like you would like him to as well. So I don't know if that can be fixed up front uh, or you can do things to mitigate it. But that to me is probably a big reason why the stuff down the field is just not happening now. Well, there's a couple of other things. One, the, the Bills, some websites have the Bills leading the league in drops. And secondly, mm-hmm. what's your opinion on John Brown being signed a couple of weeks ago to the practice squad and now Cole Beasley back in the building as well? What are those signal to you? Uh, well, the Beasley thing to me is clear that, you know, they, they, I think they feel like third and six, third and seven, they haven't just been able to pick up those easy completions. And that's what Cole provided them for all those years, right? And Isaiah's had some big games. As I mentioned on TV yesterday, I mean, you don't play the Lions. You don't beat the Lions without Isaiah making some big plays. And there's been several games where he's been really integral to what you've done. But consistency, that game against the Jets, I mean, a couple balls where he's tightly covered, but they're hitting him in the chest. And he's he's got to be able to make those catches. Those are the catches that Cole made last year. Now, I don't, I don't know how quickly Cole can get up and running. C- clearly, John Brown came in and was active for that Thursday game against the Patriots immediately. So maybe that's the the thought. Maybe Cole's kept himself in good enough shape to be able to do that. But I think clearly they're looking for a little bit more consistency and maybe guys that Josh trusts. And he he obviously trusts Beasley for for all those years and and going back with Brown as well. So maybe there's just some communication stuff that's happening with the wide receivers that they feel like we got to get guys in here who already know it and have performed at a high level for us and that Josh believes in. Yeah, because it's not just total drops, Mike, which I know Pro Football Reference had the Bills leading the league with 32 total drops. They also had them tied for second in the league with drop rate. So it's a frequency thing as much as it is, you know, it's not just a byproduct of them throwing the ball a lot. It's it's a rate thing as well. And if you go back to last offseason, most people were of the opinion, oh, no, we're good at receiver, you know, maybe you get somebody late in the draft and you'll be fine because, you know, the last time they saw Gabe Davis, he had four touchdowns in a divisional playoff game. And the last time they saw Isaiah McKenzie in a starting role, he caught 11 passes for 125 yards and a touchdown and helped beat the New England Patriots when they didn't have Beasley in the lineup because he was out with COVID. So I, I think going into this season, they really expected those two guys to step up into those number two and number three roles and it really just hasn't materialized. There's a part of me that says, well, are John Brown and Cole Beasley insurance plans? Or are they something more than that going forward because they've run out of patience with the two younger players? Yeah, I don't think they've – yeah, I, I understand exactly where you're coming from. I think I, I must have talked all spring. I, I think being on this program, like Gabe was carrying himself in the spring and the summer as if this guy was about to become 
a, a legit number one receiver on a team that already had one. And his attitude's been great. He's still doing all the dirty work, right? I mean, he stays on the field a ton. He does. A, he blocks a lot, but this that connection with he and Josh has been inconsistent, and, and they do need an elevation from him because physically he's got those type of skills. I still see John Moore as a, you know, a field stretcher, you know, get him a couple snaps on the field, get Gabe off the field for a couple plays to get him to rest up. But the Cole thing, it's interesting because they clearly felt good about their slot position, right? Because you sign Jamison Crowder, you bring McKenzie back, and then, of course, you draft Khalil Shakur in the fifth round. I think we all like what we saw from Shakur in in training camp as well. Uh, I think that they have had a tendency to bring rookies on a little bit slowly, and maybe, again, they would know better from looking at film, but maybe there's been some times where Khalil hasn't been where he's supposed to be in the past game, and that's just part of learning scheme and how teams are defending you and how you have to adjust your options. I think that the Crowder injury was unfortunate, although we could say kind of predictable. He's been hurt the last couple of years. I know there's some hope maybe that he's back before the end of the year, although, again, maybe the Beasley signing tells you they're not as hopeful as maybe they were a few weeks ago. But, yeah, I think it's clear that, to me, Cole is more of not the insurance policy. Cole might be here to, like, okay, Isaiah, it's just not happening. And if we can get him up and running, we're going to do it. And and maybe McKenzie sees his snaps dramatically reduced if, again – I don't know what kind of shape Cole's in. I don't know if you guys know, but that'll be the big thing because, you know, we just heard from Leslie Frazier about Tredavious White. You know, different situation, the injury, but he's like, you can work out with the trainer all you want. But once you start moving yeah. and reacting quickly in a game, it's a, it's a whole different story. But we have seen teams in the past, most notably last year with the Los Angeles Rams, they bring in Vaughn Miller halfway point of the season. They bring in Odell Beckham even later than that, and those guys end up really contributing. Now, certainly – OBJ and Vaughn are at a different place than John Brown and Cole Beasley. Nevertheless, uh, having guys that can acclimate and get plugged in, plus have a relationship personally and with that trust factor with a quarterback that's got to play well, uh, it could be just this blanket security because if <clears throat> if their receiving core goes down to injury, Kumaro's down with injury – Crowder's down with injury. If something happens to one of these other guys, even if it's Khalil Shakir, who doesn't take that many snaps, they're thin. They're thin. And so it could be just nothing more than, listen, this is our window. we got to maximize it. We'll get through to the end of the year with John Brown and Cole Beasley and figure something out in the offseason. Yeah, Steve, I think Brandon would be derelict in his duties if he wasn't doing that, right? This is a team that, as we've talked about now, they believe – that they are the best team or one of the best teams and that this is their opportunity to go out and win a Super Bowl. So to sit there on your hands and say, oh, you know, we can live with Marquez Stevenson as the sort of emergency wide receiver if we need to, or we can go get guys like John Brown and Cole Beasley who have far more experience, far more production in this league, and and maybe just maybe we're able to uh, rekindle some of that old magic that they had when they were here last. I mean, that that to me makes all the sense in the world to do that. But I, I do. I really circle the slot thing because I think, I mean, look, Diggs has had more production in the slot this year than Isaiah, and Isaiah is your starting slot receiver. Now, Diggs is one of the best receivers in the league, so no matter where you put him, you're going to be able to get him the ball usually, and he's going to be productive. But I just think that they haven't got enough and what they projected that they were going to get from that position. And and I do wonder, you know, like, look, if you're Josh and you go to that well a few times in big spots and he doesn't make the play – is it human nature to just say, all right, next time on third and seven, I'm just going to throw to Diggs or I'm going to run it myself, right? Rather than yeah. 
put the ball out for this receiver who, quite frankly, has let me down a couple of times. Now, do I want to be let down again or do I have to keep saying feed him, trust him, and hope it happens? I think he does that with Diggs. I think he does that with Dawson. I don't know that he does that with Isaiah. All right, let's pivot quickly to Bill's Dolphins. And, you know, there's stats up and down the list, especially when you have two division teams seeing each other as often as these guys do. The one that blew me away, though, Mike, forget about Tua and the offense for Miami and the slump that they've been in the last two weeks. Um, the defense, I, I can't explain this. It, it defies logic. At home, they're like the third best defense in points allowed, like 15.4 points a game. On the road, they are the only team in football giving up more than 28.5 points a game. It's 31.4. Mike, it's double on the road. What the hell is going on with the Dolphins' defense when they're not in Miami? Yeah, what do we say, right? Like the, the old the, the cliche, but there's a reason for it, is good defenses travel, right? And their defense, for whatever reason, when they get the home cooking, they're all over the place and they're very difficult to score on. And when they go on the road, it doesn't, doesn't match that same level of intensity and performance. I, I don't really know what that's all about um, other than to say – like, look, they're maybe not as good as as they've been at home. You know, there's they've had some issues generating pass rush. I think you go out and make the big trade for Bradley Chubb because, again, I think they see their window all of a sudden as, as right now as well. But I think Chubb is someone that they looked at and said, well, maybe he can win some one-on-one stuff so we're in a four-man pass rush. We can actually get home versus we've had to generate so much of our pressure via the blitz. Yeah. So. That, that I think is part of it is they're just not getting enough from their pass rush and it's sort of exposing them because I'm I've never been a big fan of their linebacker group. I think they can be taken advantage of. I think they have been taken advantage of. So that may be part of it as well. But yeah, look, I, I I'm also curious and we you know no one wants to talk about the weather or maybe you guys have talked about the weather ad nauseum. But like they had heaters in LA for 55 degrees. What are we going to do when it's 20 and the wind's blowing 30 miles an hour and the snow's coming sideways? I mean, I keep getting these reports now, you know, I'm, I'm starting to get a little nervous that I'm, I might be in Buffalo for about 10, 10 days to two weeks by the time oh, the storm no. finishes up on Saturday. Yeah. No, we know, we know how to, like we know how to move that stuff. No, you'll be you don't right. have to worry about last that. One that is true. You, you guys are the best. There's no yeah. question about that. Last one for me, Mike, Last couple of weeks, Tua has not looked like the MVP type caliber quarterback he did during their, you know, five game winning streak. What's up? I'll tell you what's up. I think that the last couple of weeks, there's been some press coverage on the outside to disrupt the timing. And I think teams have looked at him and said he's feasting on the stuff between the numbers, right? And especially even between the hashes. And so they're flooding that area. I mean, he made a throw uh, against the Chargers. And I think it was in the second quarter. He threw it to like four Chargers and it ended up not being intercepted. But like it was, dude, what are you even looking? There's no way... You might not see one of those guys. How do you not see four? But their offense has been so predicated on passing and getting uh, on on getting rid of it quickly, right, and passing the ball over the middle that when you do this, you could see his brain short-circuiting a little bit. I think I heard that his 10 for 28 was the worst completion percentage for a Dolphins starting quarterback since 1980. They've had some bad quarterbacks. They had Marino, but then there's been a lot of bad quarterbacks around it. Yeah. That surprised me. I, I, You know, McDaniel has done a nice job of finding answers prior to I wonder what the counter is now because if I'm the Bills, I'm looking at it the same way. I'm going to say, look, go ahead, throw the ball outside the numbers, and if you can do that and you beat us, we'll tip our hat to you. But by and large, let's not allow that to happen. And I think that that's what the Chargers said definitely in that last game. Go ahead, try to throw the ball down the sideline. And he either wasn't willing to do it or he couldn't put the ball where it needed to be. So, uh, you know, Tuanon was – 
taking victory laps for the last whatever 10, 11 weeks. The last couple of weeks have really brought them down to earth, and we'll see what the answers are for Tua, what the answers are for McDaniel. Mike Giardi from NFL Network. Thanks very much, Mike. We'll uh, look forward to your contributions during the broadcast on Saturday night. Absolutely. Looking forward to it, guys. I'll have my snowsuit and all that. I'll be ready to go. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. <laughs> we pivot now to the numbers game where we will test Steve on a stat that relates to drop percentage. It is quarterback on target percentage this season. A little bit of an esoteric stat, granted. But, Steve, I need you to name me six of the top ten quarterbacks in on-target percentage. These are quarterbacks with the highest on-target throws per attempt, and we are not counting spikes or throwaways, just so you know. I don't know if that all helps right. you at all, but <laughs> we'll let it rip anyway. I'm, I am, like, you can blindfold me for this because that's, all right. On-target um, percentage. I'll say Tua. Tua is tied for fifth. 78.3%. I will say Aaron Rodgers. Number one, 80.5%. I will say Tom Brady. Brady just makes the cut, 77.1%. He is 10th. I will say, what's the uh, what's the threshold for playing? I mean, is it just... These are all starting quarterbacks. All right, okay. Uh, I will say, I'll say Geno Smith. Geno number three. 79.1%. I'm on a He's going to get comeback player of the year. I'm, I'm going to get comeback guesser of the year for this <laughs> stat because last week I sucked. Um, what, what? How many have I got left? You, I only need two from you. All right. Um, I will say... Mac Jones. Oh, Steve, you jinxed yourself. You're on a roll, and then the hot streak ended. You should have just kept guessing. I was guess. I am guessing. Well, you said, well, I'm, I'm, uh, gonna, I'm about Ryan to. Ryan Tannehill. No. <laughs> Man, you love Tannehill. You never know. The guy might do something. Oh, I'm sorry. Mahomes. Mahomes not on this list. No. He's got oh, a lot of those. Oh, Justin Herbert. No. Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow tied right. for fifth with two at okay. 78.3%. That was a lull. one more from That was you. a mid-season lull right there. <laughs> that was like uh, week eight and nine. Oh, Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts, number two, 79.7. That'll do it. Brief stumble the there, but I came back. You did come back strong. The only guys you did not get, number nine, Kyler Murray, 77.4. His season's done. Kirk Cousins at eight. 77.9%. Number seven, the old Dodger Matt Ryan, 78%. And number four on this list, not a lot of pass attempts, so take it with a grain Justin of salt. Fields. Daniel Jones. Oh, Daniel Jones. 78.5%. Okay. For those wondering, Josh Allen, 17th in this category at 74.2%. Part two of the numbers game, Steve, deals okay. with drops. Name me six of the top ten quarterbacks who have been victimized by drops this season. All right, here we go. Six of the top ten, give me here. Rodgers. Rodgers tied for third with 28. Allen. Josh Allen, top of the list with 31. I'll say... Uh, Matt Stafford. Nope, not on this list. Gino. No. He's got two guys that can catch Kyler the ball Murray. now. Uh, no, Kyler Murray is not on this list either. 
Gino's got two guys that can pluck it, man. Lockett and Metcalf. Good. I'll say uh, some of these teams, I don't even know who to say is their starting. Like, who's, who are you going to say is Carolina's starting quarterback for the most of the season? Well, right? none of those quarterbacks are on this list. Kobe Brissett. Yes, number nine, 25 drops. That. You pulled that one out Boom of left diggity. field. That's a good um, one. Davis that. Mills. No again. There are some some pretty big names on this list. You'd be surprised. Kenny Pickett. That is not a big name I was looking for. <laughs> I asked for a you big name, like that. and you gave me Kenny Pickett. I was already I'm trying to help in. you over here. Yeah, Mahomes. Yeah, thank you. He's sixth, 27, drops. Lamar. Uh, Lamar's tied for seventh, 26 drops. Garoppolo. No. Garoppolo, no. <laughs> Brady. <laughs> Brady's on here. Tied for third, 28. That gives you six. All right. The guys you did not get, Russell Wilson, 24 drops. He's 10th. Jared Goff is tied with Lamar Jackson, 26 drops. Trevor Lawrence tied for third, 28 drops. And number two on this list, just behind Josh Allen, who leads this category, one Justin Herbert, 29 mm. drops by his teammates. All right, not bad in the numbers game. Tua, by the way, 13th. 22 drops by his receivers this season. Who wants to win a million dollars? I thought it might be you. Well, you can with FanDuel's free pick'em style game, high-low pick teams for four different stat categories that you think will score the highest or lowest for the week. The more you get right, the more you can win. Get them all correct, and you could take home a million dollars. Just go to FanDuel.com slash high-low to play. That is H-I-L-O. Steve, you've got the high and low for points right. this week. Let us have it. The Chiefs are going to Texas, the Houston Texans. They slept walked through a game with a number with a really good defense in Denver last week. Yeah, um, yeah they're gonna they're gonna they might hang a fifty burger on Houston. Uh, Chiefs for high in points, low in points. I'm taking one of my all time favorites, <laughs> your Chicago Bears. <laughs> they're playing the number one passing defense in the league and the number two defense overall. The Bears are no match. For the Philadelphia Eagles. Low for points is Chicago Bears. All right, high for passing yards. I'm taking the Chargers against the struggling Tennessee Titans. Their injuries combined with the offseason talent drain has left the Titans' defense vulnerable. L.A. finally has a healthy receiving core again. I think Justin Herbert can put up some big numbers. Low for passing yards. I'm taking the Giants. First of all, they don't pass it a whole lot to begin with. And Washington, very quietly is a top-10 pass defense, Steve. The Commanders have a chance to pull ahead of New York with both teams at 7-5-1 and one from their tie two weeks ago. I think they'll be yeah. supremely motivated. It starts with their defensive front, which I believe will neutralize the Giants' passing game. All right, now I've got rushing yards. The high for rushing yards, I'm going to take the Eagles against the Bears once again. The uh, Phillies, the number two rushing offense in all of football. Jalen Hurts is a big part of that. Bills fans know how good Josh Allen supplements their running attack, and they're going against uh, the... Uh, uh, the Bears, um, and th- yeah, so their passing games makes the Bears stay light in the box. Yeah, the Eagles are going to run it up on those guys in rushing yards. Low for rushing yards. I'm taking the worst rushing offense in football. Your Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Woo! Long season for them. They they've disappointed week in week out on the ground, and they're facing uh, the 11th ranked run defense in the Cincinnati Bengals, who are trying to keep their foot on the gas in this game. I think. Low for rushing yards is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. All right. High for sacks. I'm taking the Broncos. They've got the Cardinals 
and new pocket quarterback Colt McCoy with Kyler Murray out for the season. Broncos defense has played a lot better than their bottom-feeding offense. So Denver high for sacks. Low for sacks. I feel good about the Bengals. Not expected to have top pass rusher Trey Hendrickson. They're playing Tampa Bay. Tom Brady, as we know, gets the ball out quick and usually doesn't take that many sacks. So I think Cincy will have trouble racking them up. So Bengals low for sacks. Steve, we finish with our closing figure, and you wonder if this is one of the numbers that is factored into the decision for the Bills to sign some reinforcements for their passing game. All season long, the Bills have been a top offense in average yards per play on first down. They currently rank third in the league, 6.21 yards per play. Miami, by the way, is tops in the NFL at 6.78 yards per play on first down. But over the last four weeks, Buffalo's offense ranks 17th in the NFL on first down. They've come down a full yard per play to 5.21 yards. Knowing the Bills have the fourth most pass attempts on first down this season, having greater execution on first down could certainly improve their offensive efficiency, Steve. Um, yeah, plus stop running it on first down at all. They, they got into a little bit of a run funk. I say funk. They were actually running the ball better over this last month, and we were talking yeah. about how effective it's been. Uh, you got to throw it on first down. They, they're good at it. Uh, it gives them that boost to get it, stay ahead of the sticks, take easy completions on first down. If you can get Josh's to dunk it off, get good yards on first down, they'll be back in the top ten. They'll be back to where they were. But I think they're, they're – propensity now and you kind of get this thing where they're trying to lean more on the running game later in the season certainly conditions have something to do with it but I think if the Bills go back to their bread and butter let Josh drop back and throw some darts on first down they're gonna it's gonna help them stay ahead of the sticks their third downs will improve they'll get more first downs and I think they'll be more productive but I think their propensity to kind of lean more on the running game late in the season like they did last year has hurt them in this statistic. It, in a way, it almost has kind of pulled them away from what their identity is. It's, right. it's all good. It's all well and good to be balanced and be able to turn well, to. They're anything on a four-game winning your, streak too. They I are. Mean, yeah, I mean, they are. <laughs> um, but as I said on our daily show, One Bills Live, I think there is an element of concern on the part of fans because they haven't seen the trademark explosiveness of this offense that they have become accustomed to seeing, and I think they need. They're like, can we be reminded that we can still do that i just want to see that just just remind me that it's still possible yeah so and maybe it will be uh against the dolphins defense that gives up more points on the road than any other in football that'll do it for this edition of bills by the numbers be sure to subscribe on your podcast platform so you know when the next episode is out and remember when you need to know about the bills you need to check bills by the numbers thanks for watching listening for steve tasker i'm chris brown we'll catch you next week everybody